There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to another installment of History Hack. We're very happy today because we've got one of our lovely regular chums with us. Alina, who's come to join us? We have Gilad with us who, well, you've, do you know what? If you haven't listened to his previous podcasts with us, just stop right now, rewind, listen to them first and then come back because Gilad is awesome. He is our lovely Israeli guy. He actually worked for the Israel Antiquities Authority um, and knows everything because I've been there. He's guided me and he is a fountain of knowledge. So we're so excited to have him on board today. Hi, Gilad. Hello. Yeah, and follow The Onion God on Twitter because Gillard Jaffe posts the most amazing threads about archaeology um, from all over the place and people love them and I get tagged in them and people go nuts for them but they're really interesting stuff full of pictures and stories so do that as well. But Gillard, what are you going to talk to us about today? Um, today we're going to talk about the more uh, scientific aspects of archaeology, try to um, abolish those old sayings we hear now and then about uh, archaeology not being a science or this is all just conjecture or you don't know and this isn't a fact. Well, we have facts, we have science and we can prove it. So um, let's, let's just talk about that. And why are we talking about this today, Gilad? Well, there's a lot of, I think it's, 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 I think you can see it in a lot of aspects today, but a lot of people who just don't, who don't consider the facts facts anymore. And, and, you know, every other person now thinks he can either, uh, uh, refute or agree to some kind of statement. And when you give them the basic facts and knowledge, they say, well, you can't prove it. And I say, I can't prove it. And then they argue. And well, it, there is proof. There is actual, unless you, denounce all science well then i can't uh, there's no way to fight that but um no, you can't fight stupid can you <laughs> um yeah i don't i don't think stupid it's just it's just uh you know when people prefer to hang on to the theory that no uh, there's no way humans could have built the pyramids it has to be aliens it's a problem when it's, when the, the saddest thing about it is that when you say aliens built the pyramid and not humans you're actually saying that the humankind can't achieve such greatness, which is silly because we have. What's so, brilliant is we've just interviewed um, a great guest who was telling us all about the Mali Empire in Africa. Oh, yeah. And she said, basically, the theme is if white people didn't build it, then it must have been aliens. Uh, wow. That, that, you know what? I, I'm behind that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that seems to be uh, people's jump to position. Gilad, start with carbon-14 for us because this is everything isn't it in archaeology this changed the game 
It, it is. It's a game changer. And the funny thing is that it's been around since 1949. The whole, the whole uh, um, discovery of it is interesting. It's, it was discovered by uh, a researcher called Willard Libby in Chicago uh, in 1949. He actually worked on the Manhattan Project. And when the war was over, he got some grants and began doing the research on C-14. And what he found out is this. The way it works is, is, is fairly simple. Every living organism on Earth, um, he observe, absorbs and uh, emits, if you would like, uh, carbon-14 at the same rate, all of the life, the whole time. From the moment you're born, either whether it's human beings or animals or plants, uh, fruit, uh, vegetables, everything, it absorbs C-14 and it emits C-14 in a regular basis. The moment that organism dies, the only thing that happens is that it emits the C-14. Now, Willard Libby discovered that there is a, uh, a certain rate, it's a fixed rate in which the C-14 leaves that organism. And if you know how much was C-14 was in the organism before it died, on the moment it died, and how much it has now, you can actually do simple math and calculate when it died. That's that's the basic basic principle of C14. It actually calculates how much C14 is left in the organism based on the knowledge that we know how much was in it the moment it died because that doesn't change. It doesn't matter if it happened 3,000 years ago or, or 500 years ago. And that, that, that number in between is actually the date of its death. So dating based on carbon-14, we know the moment the organism stopped living. And it only works on on living organisms. You can't do C14 for pottery or for uh, uh, buildings, rocks. There's special labs who take care of it. There are a few prime labs. One of them, by the way, is in Israel, who do C14 uh, uh, calculations. And the thing is, the C14 is excellent uh, for about uh, between 15 to 30,000 years. Now, the more you go back, of course, the it becomes a little bit less reliable, but it still gives you uh, some kind of, 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 uh, of, you know, like a time span. Mm. It can lessen it from between twenty to ten thousand to twenty to fifteen thousand, and and that's something. Do you know the first time, the first archaeological case or dig or research thing that carbon fourteen blew the world away, and everyone went, "Wow." I'm not sure of the first time, but it took, it's interesting because it really uh, entered the field of archaeology only in the 70s. So it took like 20 to 30 years until it actually caught on. Um, today, it's one of the leading uh, aspects in, especially in biblical archaeology, especially in Israel, especially with debates about the authenticity of the biblical stories of King David and King Solomon. And everybody's arguing about that for like 30 years now. Um, so radiocarbon uh, testing is, is one of the prime uh, uh, sciences used in this debate. Everybody's like, well, I got dates from the 8th century, and this guy said, no, I got them from the 9th century. And, you know, I, I, I think I'll say this uh, with caution, that some people might be uh, fudging the numbers, <laughs> but <laughs> I don't want to blame. <laughs> but, uh, C14 exams run on uh, olive pits 
on peepits, um, dates, uh, actually like, like mummified dates from the desert. Um, on some skeletons, you can sometimes run them. And basically any organic find, if you find like a carpet that was weaved out of, out of a plant, and you can find them in dry areas like the desert, or humid areas, as in Egypt and stuff like that, then you can date that. I think we should, because we're going to talk about the Iceman, and I love him. I think that's one of the... The Iceman, the Iceman is, is, is a prime example, because the Iceman, uh, called Otzi, it was found in September 91 in the Oxital mountain range, in, uh, on the border of Italy and Austria. Um, basically, it was a naturally mummified body that actually got mummified under the ice for something like, uh, let's say, 4,500 years. Um, it was found, perchance, by two uh, uh, mountain climbers. Um, and again, it was found because the ice started to melt. And because it was mummified, it's actually, you know, it's not a, it's not a skeleton. It's, it's, a, it's a mummy, and it has the tissue on it, and it had still parts of the hair. And you can run DNA tests on the hair. They found samples of blood. We actually have a blood sample from 45,000 years ago from Otzi. We know his blood type. It was O, by the way. <laughs> oh, wow. Yay! <laughs> so, um, uh, and, and you can run C14 tests on him because you actually have the organic tissue as opposed to just a skeleton. Um, so that uh, Otzi was, was a big, big breakthrough. Again, because it also uh, lended a lot of information about the Bronze Age in Europe, which is sometimes kind of elusive. Um, so, you know, um, it, it's, it's, well, you know, it's a once in a lifetime find. I mean, how many people mummified in the snow are you going to find in your life? That's incredible. Exactly. It's interesting because they found five more samples, no, four more samples of different kinds of bloods, of blood types. Um, that aren't Otzi's, and the, pres- the 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 story that that is well, most people agree on today is it was possibly attacked by a group of four people on that mountain and actually like murdered. And then you know people make up stories like he slept with somebody's wife, blah blah blah, and they came to murder him. <laughs> but but oh, maybe know- he just maybe just didn't bathe a lot and have been in a lot of bar fights. Could be, could be, but the fact is that there was there were at least four different blood types. Found is it there. human blood? So it's there not like us, but it's not like he could have been hunting or whatever. A hundred percent human blood found. Some of it was found on his spear, on the on the on the um, point, his uh, uh, flint point of his spear. Ah, oh, so that definitely points towards like a, a proper rock, doesn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. It points to to, to definite violence and, and some kind of fight. For me, I think he was a rival of a different uh, different tribe or something, and they caught him hunting on their land, so they killed him. I think that for me, that I'm going to go with that story. Okay, okay. you can go with <laughs> yeah, it. Like you go live in your own little crazy world, Alina. <laughs> you, know, you can go. You can go with any story you want because you know we don't know the story. The, the only facts we know are what I said, you know, by the way, he was 45 years old, which is huge, very, very old for that period, 45. It's like a, what is it, 30 is considered old at that point? Yeah, yeah, 30 or like, you know, head of the tribe, the wise man, you know. Wow. <laughs> I'm, 44, I'm 44 years old, I should have been dead in the 
<laughs> Let's go completely to the other end. Uh, I want to hear about NASA's infrared camera. Ah, that's an interesting one. It's a research done in Tel Aviv University where I studied. Um, basically, this is a corpus of, um, of letters written, ostracons, letters written on potsherds found in Tel Arad, which is a very important site in southern Israel and the northern Negev Desert. And it was found in 1962, and, and, and there were writings on them, kinds of letters, different kinds of letters to the military outposts over there. And that was it. It, 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 it sat like there for like 50, 60 years. And then um, uh, a joint research between Tel Aviv University and um, the space department, somebody come up, came up with the idea to run these ostracons under uh, NASA infrared spectrometry, which I'm not really sure what it does. It just it, it runs it through and it actually it kind of looks through the actual hard material of the pottery. And what they found is that beneath the writings we already know that exist for 50, 60 years, there are earlier writings that were, that were erased. So we actually have a new set of letters that we didn't know about that's just been lying in the storage for 60 years. You know, the whole, the whole idea is actually kind of crazy. Think about it. Would, who in their right mind would think to run a pottery chair under a NASA spectrometer? Um, so, so it, it, and it gives results that no one expected. And, and again, when you have a new, a new piece of writing, this, this, this requires, um, uh, linguistic analytics. And then you have to see if you can correlate it to other writings or other events. You have to start and try and now, you have to try and date when this writing is from, which is fairly simple because it can't be earlier than the time of the potsherd itself because then there would be nothing to write about. But why did they erase it? Why did they write something different on top of it? A whole set of new questions just comes from this. This is like maybe five years ago. This is fairly new. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I love this type of archaeology. It just gives us an insight. Like, for example, I'm, I know I'm going to bring this up, is when uh, when you disco- you made that discovery that changed the thoughts of um, Jews in, uh, was it, it was in Israel with the, with, this, with the bread stamp? 
Oh, yeah, the bread stamp, that was, yeah, it was my find from 2011. It's actually, it's more than a bread stamp because it's a bread, bread stamps are, are something that we know about that came, that came about in the Roman legion camps. Um, they would actually stamp uh, the bread so people would know where it came from. Like today you buy bread in the supermarket and you have like a bag and it says which bakery made the bread. Basically the same idea. The thing in this one is that it didn't have a name. It had a menorah engraving on it, which makes it not just a bread stamp. It makes it a kosher stamp. So now this is a stamp that says this is a bread baked by Jews for Jews, adhering to the uh, kosher rules of eating, according to Judaism. Um, yeah, and it's it's uh, yeah, it's mine, and it's uh, one of a kind. There's no other one like it. That's it. I love it. Yeah, I don't mind you telling that story again because that's your Indiana Jones moment, isn't it? It's one of them. I have another one, um, which is less. Uh, how do you say less sexy? Um, it's basically just you know they took a stone stone vessel cords. Stone vessel is also interesting because stone vessels also indicate Judaism because according to Jewish law, they don't get contaminated by, um, like, let's say if you mix milk and, and meat, which you're not allowed to mix according to Judaism, um, they don't get contaminated if they're made of stone. I'm talking about limestone, regular white limestone. They used to make them with this special engraving machine and they took the core out to make like a glass, like a cup for coffee. You just take the core out and then you have the hollow part in the middle. I found these cores, which aren't something we don't know about, but these cores that I found were drilled with a hole at the top, and actually they were turned into loom weights to use to make clothes with a loom. So this is like secondary use. It's kind of, uh, you know, like uh, modern existentialism. That's mad. Um, yeah, uh, there uh, a lot of... a lot. <laughs> We always find things that actually show us that people were a lot more sophisticated than we give them credit for in earlier times. Um, it is amazing. It is. It is. Um, but there is another thing I wanted to talk about, I told Alina, um, which is a, before we get to the wine, because yeah. I know you're waiting for the wine. <laughs> of course, you know, always. I know you're, you're waiting for the wine. wine. But you're going to tell us about a magnetic pole first, aren't you? Yes, yes. This is this is this is really crazy because it's a vice versa example where archaeology helps a different science. During the eighth century BC in Israel, there are what we call uh, lamelech stamps. These are jars. These are handles of jars of of storage jars, big storage jars like a meter twenty high, um, which their handles were stamped with a special stamp that said Lamelech, L-M-L-K, which means to the king in Hebrew. And you can find them all over Judea in the 8th period. Now, they change, there are different versions of them, and today we can really, you can make a whole series of them by date. So you know which one is earlier, which one is in the middle, which one is the latest, from the 8th century to the, I think the latest ones are 2nd century AD already. So we got nearly... Nearly a thousand years of stamp jars that give you an indication of what period of time you are. Here's the interesting. This is a research again done in Tel Aviv University and um, with the Geological Institute. And because, because well, of course, uh, pottery is made out of earth and other ingredients, right? We all know that. Yes, we all agree. Yes. Okay. 
and the Earth's magnetic pole, magnetic pole is actually stamped into the ground. So if you take uh, take ground dirt and you mold it into into a, a vessel and you burn it and you make actually a storage jar, the stamp of the magnetic Earth in that period of time is in that pottery. Now, if you can set all these different vessels, these different potters, at a chronological order from earliest to latest, you can actually examine the magnetic pole of the Earth at each different time. Because they're, they're so uh, accurately dated that you can actually see the change of the magnetic pole between the 8th century to the 6th century BC, just based on these potters, on these handles. Is that clear? Yes. Oh, this is brilliant. I, I love it when you come on and make archaeology sexy. Oh. <laughs> Don't let his wife hear you say that. Harrison Ford's got nothing on Gillard. <laughs> well, now. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it really is. And, and what, what I like about this is actually that, that this is really a moment where we can see how important um, doing archaeology right and maintaining uh, uh, a very accurate, uh, you know, uh, how should I say, right, you know, uh, record, uh, accurate record of the finds and dating everything accordingly. And and really, because if we couldn't have dated these stamps, then there's no point in this research. The whole idea is that we know where they came from, we know when they came from, and then and we can actually, from that uh deduced onto the magnetic pole. And it, it gave a lot of insight to geologists about the shifting in the magnetic pole of Earth during that period of a thousand years, more or less. And again, it's, I think, three, four years ago. It's very, very recent research. That is amazing. But we've got to the wine. Yeah, let's talk about the wine, because that's, <laughs> that's the earliest one you've got. This one's from the 18th century, isn't it? Yeah, this is the earliest one we got. It's also my personal favorite because I'm personally attached to the site. This is uh, Tel Kabri. It's in northern Israel, just like uh, 10 kilometers from the shore, from the Mediterranean shore. It's, it's a beautiful site. It's got a, it's got a Middle Bronze Age palace with, and this is really interesting. This palace is the only place in Israel where we, we found actual fragments of my known frescoes. So there is some kind of minor connection between this palace in Kabri to the whole Aegean area, Crete and uh, Mycenaean and all that area, which, of course, is another reason why that's one of my favorite topics. Um, I've excavated there a few times. I've been part of the, of the excavation team and it's run by very, very good friends of mine. 2013 was the find. Something around the number of 80 plus minus storage jars, huge storage jars. Again, these are even bigger than the Iron Age ones. We're talking about a meter and a half high, something like 70 diameter in width. Um, something like 80, like I said, found all intact. Intact, I mean broken, but can be restored to their original form on the floor in one room. Um, <clears throat> you can find pictures on the internet it is amazing. I excavated three or four of those. Now, excavating one of those is like nearly a day's work. Yes, it's, it's huge. Why is it a day's work? Because in order to, to achieve the scientific 
edge of this, what we did is we worked with disposable gloves long before COVID. Yeah. And why? Because when you want to examine an organic find, be it C14 or what we're going to talk about now, the minute you touch it with your bare hands, the, the whatever oils or dirt is on your hands will contaminate the find. There's no, there's no, you can just throw it to the, to the garbage. There's no yeah. point in sending it to the laboratory. So you work with disposable gloves. We actually took apart the top part of the jar. Imagine a jar that's lying down, laying on, on one of its sides. Took apart the top half, excavated all the dirt from inside into bags, always tagged, always written down. Everything was recorded specifically. And all that dirt was then sent off to the lab. In the lab, what we did was very uh, uh, simple. It seems simple, but of course, it's, it's, you know, again, it's like C14. It's stuff that people that work in labs know how to do. We just get the results. Um, but it actually broke the wine down into its initial uh, uh, components. So, of course, you have grapes. Now, this is red wine, not white red don't know what your preference is um but uh you know the difference between red and white how you make them right yes but history had to feel reeling a bit from the presence of fish oil and shit in it but yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know what i think it might be worth just having just just covering how it is just in case someone doesn't know no it's basically it comes down to the um to the uh you know the shell of the grape Mm. Um, if, if, if you don't use it, you get white. If you do use it, you get red. Um, there's not, not a, it's not a big, uh, that, that's basically what, what makes the, um, the actual difference between, uh, the two parts of wine. Wait, I'm just bringing up something here just to make, to, to be accurate. Um, and so the thing is that we have, I'm reading it from the, from the actual report. I brought the actual report just, so I can give to you. There's in that wine we found there's honey, there's uh, two kinds of resin, um, cedar oil, juniper, uh, mint, and cinnamon. Okay. You had me at juniper. Ah, oh, well then. <laughs> now, uh, now another uh, one more amazing fact is that all the jars, again, eighty plus jars, all contain the same exact recipe. Um, so we're talking about some kind of storage, some kind of storage that works with the same vineyard, that works with the same uh, 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 people who make exactly the same wine, uh, assuming it was distributed. And we're talking about more than 2,000 liters of wine in this, uh, in this uh, storage. Now, here's another interesting catch about this. These, uh, these uh, um, components are all attested in in texts found in sites like Mari in Syria and Mesopotamia and in Egyptian recipes. So it's not only that we know what the wine was made from, we also know that this is exactly how people made wine because they wrote about it. That's brilliant. We have wine recipes and beer recipes from Mesopotamia and Egypt. You can make wine and beer from that period at home if you know how to make wine and beer. I don't. But... um, so everything connects together. You have the find in a basement of, of a palace, uh, a wine cellar, if you will. Uh, you know what the wine was made of. You know that people made wine like that because we have documented evidence from uh, uh, letters. Uh, everything connects. 
and the periods all match up and the sites all match up. Mari is one of the most important sites in that, in that period in the area, in the whole Near East. Um, and we know there were, um, there was like, uh, connections between Mari and, and the land of Israel in that period. We know because there are letters that are exchanged. You can find sites from Israel mentioned in texts found in Mari and vice versa. So, uh, you know, it's just a matter that everything connects very, very beautifully. There's, there's no, uh, I'll put it differently. I can't see any reasonable person saying, no, that didn't happen like that. <laughs> That's it's, amazing. It's just all there. Um, What's like the newest bit of technology coming out now that's exciting? Um, there's a big jump in the area of LIDAR uh, surveys. Okay. LIDAR is actually, it's actually an underground survey. It sends waves kind of like a bat, imagine. Yeah. Into the ground and you get different different uh, responses from soil or stone or uh, water reservoirs or whatever. And you can actually, it actually presumably gives you a map of what's laying beneath the surface before you actually open it up. Now, it's much better today. We did a LIDAR survey on Tel Kabri in 2005, in the first season. And we saw that through the leader that there were walls like uh, a meter down that looked like big walls continuing the palace. We excavated, instead of a meter, we excavated two and a half meters to find a flimsy wall built out of one row of stones. So, um, but that was 16 years ago. And today um, there was a, it was published like a year ago, I think they found new uh, Mayan uh, uh, finds and buildings in Peru. Um, based on LIDAR uh, scans. Um, but I have to be honest, when it comes to these kind of things, um, I'm skeptic until someone opened the ground and I see what's underneath. That, that basically, if you want to get an archaeological result, you can do all the LIDAR and scans and surveys you want until you don't open the ground and actually look inside, you won't know. That's my take. Wow. Alex yeah. is very, very excited. I can hear it in her voice. Yeah, it makes me want to go out in the garden with a spade and start digging, but I suspect there'd be nothing out there except fox food. Yeah. Well, I'm not allowed to go I, anywhere else. So, if you come here, I've just bought a piece of land. We can go and excavate my piece of land. Yeah, but I think by the time we dig holes all over it, we might have problems uh, building a house on it, though. Gilad, it's been so great having you on this podcast. We can listen to you for hours talk about any aspects of archaeology and ladies and gentlemen if you do get a chance Gilad is an excellent tour guide so um hit him up on twitter thank do you so much him up on twitter because he shares amazing stuff and he's got i know he's got great plans for sharing archaeology with the world as and when he gets his new life in order because you've moved to germany haven't you yes yes we're berlin based now amazing so your children are all uh, fascinated by snow right now yeah yeah, we're kind of by snow. They were going to school through the snow. It's fun for them. They went to the park on their way back. Built an igloo. Yeah, why not? Thank you very much. It was fun as always. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. 